want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 12. Eventually, today, I'll get there, okay? I promise. Eventually, we're going to get to 1 Samuel 12. We're going to go through a lot of passages before that, though. I want you to join me today in uh, just praying and asking the Lord to just uh, meet with us in uh, a unique way today. And uh, I do want to talk to you about this subject matter of what is your greatest need, what's my greatest need. And I want to talk about what's the greatest need of our church. And I believe you could talk about Bible study, Bible memorization, obedience. You could talk about being discipled. You could talk about fellowship. There's, there's just such a, a litany of evangelism. Uh, missions. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of the things that we should do, and there are very important things. But I believe more important than anything else is that you become a person of prayer, and that you perpetually pray through your day, and that we become obedient to Jesus' command to be a house of prayer. If you go in the prayer room above the cross, there is a scripture passage that is on the wall that says these words, that we are to be a house of prayer. And I want to just encourage you today to hear my heart. Number seven on our essential expectations that replaced the covenant unanimously a a few months ago, it says on number seven that you be a person of prayer and that we as the church be obedient to the command of Jesus to be a house of prayer. That's one of the things we expect of everybody here. It's something we're doing. We're raising the bar saying, there's the seven things we expect. And today I want to cover that seventh thing with you. Let's pray together. Father, may your spirit now guide our time in your word. And Father, I pray that we would emphatically hear your heart. And Father, our hearts would match your heart, that you would move us to your passion and what you've called us to do that will bless our life the most. And Father, we ask that we would have your priorities as our priorities. And today, may this priority of prayer be just that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many people today have a prayer life, and I mean across the nation, have a prayer life that is like um, kind of their relationship to Santa Claus. When they got something on their list they want, they'll ask him. And there's a lot of folks that are like that in their prayer life. Uh, there's others of us that treat God kind of like the corner policeman. When I get in trouble, I'll yell for you, and I'll speak to you. Uh, you know that God's a great, big, busy God, and he doesn't need all my little little issues. Well, God is so personal that he does want all the issues of your life to come to him. Some of us pray like Bob Cratchit, and you know who Bob Cratchit is, right? You remember what story that comes from? Talk to me, church. What am I talking about? Yeah, I'm talking about Scrooge, right? And that story about Scrooge, Bob Cratchit, if you remember the story, his, uh, that, that prayer was kind of, God bless everyone, and people pray like that, don't they? Lord, just bless, bless all the missionaries, bless, 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 and we kind of don't get too detailed, we just kind of stay in that zone. Well, God's called you to do better than that, He really has. And I want to share with you, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, that in the NIV translation, the shortest verse in the Bible is tied 
two words. You know one of them, right? Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. But in the NIV, it's tied with this phrase from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Pray continuously. Pray continuously. That is a command, isn't it? He says that we're to be joyful always, we're to be thankful, and we're to pray. That's the three commands in, that, in those three verses right there. That we pray continuously. Jesus told us a parable in Luke chapter 18. And you may remember these words in Luke chapter 18. He said that he's telling you this parable, and most of the time he tells the parable and then tells you what it means. But in this case, he says this is what this means before he said the parable. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, he says these words. He says, I'm telling you this parable so that you will always pray and never give up. We all need to know that we need to pray and we need to never give up. Amen? We really do. So why do people not pray if this is such a needed thing in our lives? If it's, our, if it's really our greatest need, why do people not pray? Well, let me give you four or five answers that I think maybe we can start a frame on. Number one, people don't pray because they simply don't realize the potential of prayer. These are in the blanks there. You can fill in the blanks there on your page that we handed out in the bulletin. They don't realize the potential of prayer. God, listen to me, church. God listens to you and he answers your prayers. He really does. It's a profound thing. They don't realize the answer to to their problems, the power in their Christian life, and that they have intimacy with God. Second of all, they're simply not disciplined in their walk with the Lord yet to realize the power of prayer and to make that part of their everyday life all day long. God wants us to pray what? 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, he wants us to pray continuously. I should pray all through my day. It's not just a thing of stopping and praying. I've got to close my eyes, got to bow my head. I used to try that in a car when I was about 18. It doesn't work real well. You uh, might get in trouble doing that. So a lot of times I pray in the car. It's just a great time to pray. I try to stay focused, driving, but also pray. You can multitask, fellas. I know the ladies know that one already, but fellas, we can multitask. We can pray. You can pray throughout your day and just that, just like that. Number three, there are there's some people that don't pray. There is some unconfessed sin in their lives. I'm telling you, unconfessed sin will drive you away from your knees and, on, and in prayer. It just has a way of doing that in our lives. And uh, it's so important. Number four, some people don't pray because they really don't know the Lord. Yep, you heard me right. I talked to somebody yesterday about the Lord, and they were telling me about their salvation experience, and they said, it wasn't when I first professed and was baptized. I really came to the Lord later in my life, and here's what happened about this many years ago. I really got serious with Jesus. I fell in love with Jesus. The gospel became really personal to me, and I mean God changed my life then, and I believe that's when I really got saved. I became a believer. I've known so many people with that testimony. Some people simply don't pray because they're not in the family. They're not in the family and they don't talk to the Father. And that's what's going on. 
I want to share with you that prayerlessness, I believe, is one of the most common sins that happens in the life of individual Christians and in the church. And we need to be so aware of the, the need for prayer. We really do. Look at what happens as a result. And let me just share with you several passages. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, it is coming, I promise. 1 Samuel chapter 12, we'll get there. Look at this. Prayerlessness is a sin against our Savior. And how's that? How's it a sin against our Savior? Well, let me fill in those blanks for you this morning in this way. The Bible says that for just as though, uh, as through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, many were made righteous. So what Adam messed up for us, and we all have a sin nature, right? Jesus sends, Jesus comes and makes all things right. He provides a pathway for us. He provides for us a way to get to God. And here's what's amazing. In, it undermines what Jesus did. And here's what I mean. Jesus is your only path of being connected to God. Did you know that? You can't get connected to God without Jesus. Jesus has done something for you and for every single person in this room and for me as well. Jesus has made it possible for me to get connected to God. Listen, we can pray to God, the creator of the universe, of everything you see and everything you don't see. And he hears you. Not only does he hear you, he will answer you. He can move heaven and earth to accomplish what we're praying for. It's important that we believe that. This past week, I heard a testimony. I got to church this morning, and I had this lady come up to me, and she says, you know, we prayed for so-and-so the other day, and they were having TIAs, and they were going to the hospital, and they, you know, in, in the nature of those many strokes is they seem to come you know, in, in many of them. They, they seem to be repeated as they, as they come. And when they got to the hospital, it had stopped. And when they checked them out, nothing. Nothing. Church, did you hear me? Nothing. The lady says, that's a miracle, Pastor. I said, that is a miracle. And I said, they checked out. Nothing was going on. They said, nothing, nothing, nothing was going on. They're fine. There's been no problem since then. God is in the business of doing just that. You pray to him. Listen, church, you can pray to God and he hears you and he responds to you. And there are times that he says yes and there's times that he says no and there's times that he says wait on this and I'm growing you, I'm developing you. Sometimes it's a change of our own heart, isn't it? But God hears prayer. Jesus puts you in touch with God. Isn't that amazing? Don't come church today on this Third, uh, the, this uh, March, the uh, what are we, 10 today, March 10, don't come to church and go ho-hum about this. God puts you in touch through Jesus Christ, his son. That's what he did for you. That's no little thing. That is a major, major thing. And you are listening and talking about this subject matter this morning. Here's what's really, really neat as you read on. If we don't pray... Not only are we undermining what Jesus has already done, 
and not having that be effective in our lives through prayer where he's put us in touch with God the Father, but we're undermining what he's doing now, present tense. Watch this. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4, we have one of those therefore passages, and you know when you see the therefore, you need to find out why it's therefore, right? God's giving you the conclusion of the matter, the impact, the effect, the application for your Christian life. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. And here's the distinction, yet without sin. Jesus has, in his 33 and a half years that he walked planet Earth, he was tempted in every way that I've been tempted, but there's a distinction. I'm sinful, he is not. He walked this life, he's perfect, I am not. And I'll spread this out to share it with the rest of you. Let me say it this way. He is sinless, he is sinless, and we are not. We are not. We fail. Even after we come to Christ, we still fail. We have a sin nature, and the more it dominates us, the more problems it causes us. Amen? Jesus lived on planet Earth, and sometimes, listen, I'm, I dwell more on his deity than his humanity. I'm more given to that myself. You may be too. But Jesus was tempted every way that you've been tempted, yet he never failed. He's sinless. And the Bible says because of that, here's what we should all do. Jesus, he set us free from sin and he provided the pathway. He's the trailblazer. He's the one that puts you in touch with God so that you can talk to God. People, I'm talking about you talking to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm talking about you talking to God. That's amazing, isn't it? It is absolutely amazing. It's an incredible truth. And in this passage, if you come to the end of it in verse 16, he tells us what we should do now. He says, because Jesus did this, and we have this great high priest, and he knows what... He is sympathetic to us because he knows what it's like to live on this earth. Then in verse 16, he says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. That is actually telling you, now you can go to God in prayer. And he tells us that when you go to God in prayer, you can do it boldly, you can do it confidently. We are told how to pray. Jesus tells us that as well as lots of other biblical instruction. And then he says this, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive what? Mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Do you need mercy and do you need grace? Well, sure you do. You need mercy and you need grace, don't you? You need mercy and grace. Now, because of what God has done through Jesus Christ, Not only can you talk to God, you can have every need you have in your life met in the Lord and all the grace you need and all the mercy you need. God, through Jesus Christ, can give that. So 
we are sinning against the Savior when we fail to pray. We're, we're sinning against what he has already done and what he's doing for us right now in our life, the provision that can be there. Second of all, notice that prayerlessness is also a sin against society. If you go to the book of, of uh, Romans chapter 10, you'll see a very interesting verse at the beginning of chapter 10, verse 1. Paul is telling you what his heart and prayer's desire is, and he says, my heart and my prayer's desire for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, if you go back to chapter 9 and read the end of chapter 9, Paul, and I don't have that up on the screen for you today, but Paul says, I would be willing to lose my own salvation, to lose my relationship with God, if Israel would come to God. If it would merit anything and they came to God, I'd be willing to forfeit going to heaven myself. I want to tell you something, that is incredibly, incredibly powerful, isn't it? He's willing to be anathema. He's willing to be abandoned himself if it would bring Israel to Christ. But God doesn't demand that of us. The price has been paid, amen? The price has been paid. It just shows you the burden that Paul had for his own people. Now, this is the first covenant people. They have a relationship with God. They're the old covenant people. God is telling us through through Paul, it's not complete. They haven't accepted the Messiah. The Messiah has come now, and they have rejected him. Now, check this out. He says that that's his heart's desire. On the day that became the day of Pentecost, 10 days prior to that, there was an incredible, intense prayer meeting. It lasted basically 24-7. Maybe they were fasting as well. We don't have instruction in the scriptures about that. But 120 people, that's all, gathered in an upper room and they prayed for 10 days. They prayed for what Jesus said was going to be the gift of the Spirit that would come and empower the church to do the job of what God had called the church to do. And they prayed for 10 days. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God descended and God saved 3,000 people. So 120 people were ministering in the crowd and Peter was preaching and there was 3,000 added to the church that day. In fact, the book of Acts gets kind of tired of counting people. You'll see that it says, and there was 5,000 of the Jews that believed and there were some that were priests and 5,000 more came to Christ. And then you get over to about chapter 6 or 7 in the book of Acts and it says, and another multitude came to Christ. And another multitude came to Christ. It's like they got tired of counting people. And another multitude came to Christ. Isn't that incredible? There are many scholars that believe that there may have been the first 20 years the church existed, that the first mega church happened in Jerusalem, and it may have been as large as 50,000 members. Isn't that incredible? That God was just busting out and busting loose. Amen? The Spirit of God was moving through people, and He does that. And He's looking for obedient churches and churches that will pray. Listen, if you haven't figured out, I don't have much to offer you as a pastor. I'm just going to point you to Jesus, and I'm going to point you to the Word, and I'm going to say, God says He'll bless this. God says He'll bless this. If you haven't figured out, I'm not a brainiac. I've been blessed in moments where God has blessed where I've led churches, and there's other churches that was kind of like, huh, how come we don't have something going on here? 
I've been in both situations. But I'll tell you what. When God's people get serious, they get broken, they get burdened, and then they just come to a place of a new walk and a new level of obedience, that is where I have seen God do great things. And I believe it can happen here, and it's going to happen here. I am trusting God for that. I came with that burden on my heart to the oaks. There are dreams you've had since you moved here that it's time for God to to, to show us those things. But it takes an obedient church. It takes a united church. It takes a church that's willing to go an extra mile. It takes a church that's willing to pray. And I'm telling you, this is our greatest need. It really, really is. You know, it's a sin against the society that we live in when we're not praying for those that need to come to Christ. Listen to this. When we read the scriptures, there's a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2 I think last year I might have preached on it. I'm not sure. I can't remember off the top of my head. But it's one of the most detailed instructions that we have in the Scripture about how we should pray for people and who we should pray for. You'll find it in this passage. So it's a sin against those not only outside of Christ or, not, or pre-Christ, but also those in Christ. Listen to this. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Here he gives us instruction, and it's detailed instruction about who we should pray for. I urge you then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving. Four different categories of praying. Be made for who? Everyone. For kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. All right, you look at that passage. Who's the first? Listen, if you ever think, did God tell us to pray? Who did God tell us to pray for? Well, the first category of prayer in that passage is who? Pray for, and here's the blanket coverage. God said so through Paul. What's the coverage? Everybody. So should you pray for everybody? Yes, you should pray for everybody. Why? Because God said so. He'll bless and honor that. The first request, notice the second one. It is kings and those that are in authority. Well, we don't have too many kings these days. But we do have presidents and prime ministers. And I want to tell you something. This is not a political portion of my message. But I'm going to go political on you. You know what I'm called to do for President Trump? And do I agree with everything President Trump does? I'll tell you right now, I do not. Sometimes I would like to take his Twitter account away from him. I'm just going to tell you that. All right? But I appreciate many of the things he said he would do that he's doing. I appreciate those things. I want to tell you something. You may not be a fan of President Trump, but I'll tell you what you are called to do with President Trump. You're to pray for him. You see in this passage where it says that we're to pray for him? Listen, I, there are presidents that we've had that I didn't vote for, but I still had an obligation spiritually as a pastor to do something. I was called on to pray for, that, for the president, whether I voted for him or not, whether I like him or not. I was called to pray for him. And people will say, well, I don't like this and I don't like that. 
Listen, I prayed every day for Barack Obama. I did. I pray every day for Donald Trump. Does the Congress need prayer? Bunch of liars. They sure do need prayer, don't they? I mean, you talk about lying. It's just like it's just commonplace. I mean, I, I think I think lying is common in our our. It, it's like it's it's just like at another level there. And you can go back and play what they said five years ago. It doesn't seem to matter, right? You know, that's not where they are now. Does the Senate need prayer? Huh? It does. Does the judicial branch, the Supreme Court, and all the federal uh, judicial heads and, and judges all over the nation and the state courts, do they need prayer? Absolutely they need prayer. Here's what God says. He tells us to pray for those that are in authority. Did God put them there? If you believe in the sovereignty of God, and I do, I believe God does put those people there. Listen to what the scripture says in Proverbs. Solomon, in his great wisdom, said this. He said, a king's heart is in his hand. And here's what Solomon had observed. He said that God can take the king's heart and move it like a stream of water and make it go whatever direction he desires. Do you believe that? Sometimes you look at what they're doing, you think, I I don't think that's going on. I think this is, you know, corrupt and this is lies and this is that. Listen, if anything needs to happen to the authority in our nation, do police need to be prayed for? You better believe they ought to be prayed for. Do first responders need our prayers? Yes, they do. They're all putting themselves in dangerous situations. We need to pray that in that heated moment, in those moments where they have to decide whether to use a gun or not, they need to know that we're praying for them. That's what the church can do for them. We need to pray for them. I'm telling you what the Word says. This isn't debatable. And I'm not being political. I'm talking about political things. There's a difference, right? Here's, here, God instructs us about this. So whether you're a fan or not, that, that, that's not even an issue. You are called as a Christ follower to pray for those in authority. Okay, I got kind of hung up on that one. I got hung up on that. Let me move on, all right? I just wanted to really drive that home because I have people... All the time they'll say, I you know, I don't like this, I don't like that. Well, you need to pray for them. That's what, we, that's what the call is. But notice also the list goes on. It says that we are to pray for those that are without Christ. What did the passage say as we read the end of it in verse 4? He says that God's not willing. Uh, well, I'm, I'm quoting Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God's not willing that any perish, but they all come into repentance. But you look at the end of verse 4. It says this is good and pleases God our Savior. And what does God want? He wants all men. You think, ladies, you're included in that? Young people, you think you're included in that? He wants all men, women, young people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The Word says so. Not Barry Jude, the Word. Did you hear that? We need to pray for those that are without Christ, and we're going to do that these next days uh, in heavy fashion. Paul said that we, he wants prayer for him and the other apostles and the other pastors and leaders. 
Listen, the best thing you can ever do for me, the highest compliment you will ever give me is when you tell me you're praying for me and you really are praying for me. I, I, want, I treasure that. That's the best thing you can do for me. It's the thing I need most. Pray for me. Pray for our staff. Pray for our LC. Pray for our deacons. Pray for everybody that's involved in leadership. They teach a class. Pray for them. The Bible tells us that we're also to pray for those that are ill or sick. Listen to James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, what? Healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Pray for each other. Our needs, our, our need for healing. We gave you that testimony even this morning of somebody that God apparently healed just the last couple of days right here. Pray for the church. Paul as well as other writers, tell us repeatedly, under inspiration of God, pray for the church, the church, that it would be affected. The Bible also says, and I'm going to stop with this one because I can go on and on and on, of the things that God says we are to pray for. The Bible says we are to pray for the persecuted. If you go back to the book of Acts, when there was persecution starting to really hit the church, what the church of Jesus Christ did was they prayed. And they prayed and they prayed for those that were being persecuted. Third, let me just share this. Prayerlessness is a sin against yourself. Did you know that? You are sinning against yourself if you don't pray like you should. What do I mean? Listen to James chapter 4 verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask God. There is provision. There are things I go without because I don't pray about them. Listen to the book of Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talking, he says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, you'll give him a snake? Well, that would be real nice of you, right? If you then, though you are evil, that's the complimentary section of the scriptures today. If you, though you are evil, we're fallen, we're sinful, right? If you... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who do what? Who do what? They ask Him. They ask Him. Isn't it amazing? See, we lack proper provision and we lack lack proper power in our life. We're sinning against ourselves not to pray. And here's what He says. The early believers... They gathered in that upper chamber. There was only 120 that were gathering after Jesus had, had died and had been resurrected. And the Bible says that in that time frame, they gathered for prayer, 120 of them. And here's what it says about them. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Let me take you through a little tour of the book of Acts just on the topic of prayer. Chapter 2, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what became the word of God later on. And to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and then what's the last category? And to prayer. And then it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, these words, And they prayed, and the place they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They were filled with the Spirit because they prayed. Acts chapter 12, here's persecution going on. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Then Acts chapter 28, you have another one of these passages. It tells us about his father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. 
Paul went to see him, and after he prayed and placed hands on him, he healed him. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came, and they were cured. That's what happens when we pray. God touches lives. God changes circumstances. God moves. God brings healing. He brings salvation. On and on it goes. This past Monday, I was in, I attended our deacons meeting. Well, that's not anything unusual. I go to all the deacons meetings. I meet with our deacons. That's one of my, one of the things I do. Um, I go meet with our deacons. And uh, I was talking to them about the 40 days of prayer and how we're getting ready, how we're going to get ready for for the time with Ken Freeman when he's here in the crusade and how we're going to get ready for Easter weekend and what we would be doing with the prayer cards and what we'd be doing with Disciple One and trying to have some people get trained so that they can disciple people after after both events are over, Easter and and uh, the crusade, and I was talking about how we need to meet in the prayer room and the 40 days of prayer, and all of a sudden, one of the, one of the guys broke out and said, hey, let's talk about this prayer, and is there going to be in prayer and fasting? Well, I didn't bring up fasting. They did. I love it when people I pastor do really cool and godly things, and the deacons start having a discussion. I just... I wasn't in, I, this wasn't me. I wasn't pushing this. I wasn't leading this. This is the deacons just talking and being spiritual themselves about, and they said, well, you know, we ought, we, ought, we ought to fast and pray. Seek the heart of God. Seek God do something awesome. And I said, yeah, yeah. I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm just trying to be quiet over there. And, you know, it's hard for me to be quiet. You know that, right? And I'm listening to them, and man, they're talking, and they're, 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 and next thing you know, they said, we, we ought to have a day of fasting and prayer before, we ought to, we ought to fast and pray before, before the 40 days even starts. We ought to lead out for the church. Guess what happened this week? Our deacons, from Monday, two days later on Wednesday, at sundown, to sundown the next day on Thursday, our deacons have already been praying and fasting for that 24-hour period. The, 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 the time of prayer, the 40 days of prayer, starts this Wednesday. The deacon brothers at the church, they already been praying and fasting. They already did that for 24 hours. I sent them a little Bible instruction about how, you know, things to remember about that on an email. And I want to tell you something. I walked, I walked out of the deacons meeting going, yes. Yes, 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 yes. You know why? Because God's getting ready to do some things. Pastor's not even talking about that. And the men of God in that room, our deacons, rose up and said, In. I'm in. Let's get it going before we even start the 40 days. You don't think God will meet you there? I know he will. I've seen it before. I've seen God do incredible things when people fast and pray. One time I fasted for 40 days with some other people. I'm no kidding. I've done that three different times in my ministry, and I want to tell you something. We had a day of giving that was over $300,000 on a day of first fruits. 
that year there was over a million dollars given to the building campaign. There was 2.5 million pledged to the building campaign on that first fruit Sunday. And in one year's time, we sold the existing building for 1.5 million and we saw raised $4 million. God showed up and did that. We couldn't do that. That was coming together. Now, that was at a bigger congregation where we had more people and more money, but God, literally, $4 million came in. So what? You think, you think we got any financial needs here? Really? Really? God's bigger still, amen? He can provide still. We've been talking about that a little bit lately. There's another time I was a youth pastor. I was Austin. I was Austin. I was, I was 20 years old, working in my home church. And I, I, got, I got 40 people to fast and pray with me for one day. We had a youth night. We had almost 400 people there. I've told, I told this story last year. We had over 400 young people there in the building, and 25 people got saved in that service. One of them's right there. My wife came to Jesus that night. I believe because people got serious with God and they prayed and fasted. I've seen God do things like that at many other points. I had no clue that God was giving me my life partner. That night, saved her. That night, she was one of the 25. I'm telling you, God will meet you there when we get serious with him and we pray and seek his face. And man, you couple that with fasting and you're showing God you mean business, that you'll actually go without food and so forth. And we had some deacons that got health issues and they had to kind of modify how they went about a fast. Listen, we'll meet you wherever you are because it's worth the trip. And church, I'm excited about the days ahead because I believe God's getting ready to pour out His Spirit in a big way because just like what happened last Monday, it might if that happened church-wide, we couldn't contain it. It'd be so incredible. We couldn't contain it. Take out that card. Seven names. There's some here at the altar if you didn't get one today. They're laying up here. Fill it out twice. Maybe your list just has three on it right now. You can keep adding to it. That's what the 40 days are for. But let us join you. Fill one out and leave it. And then keep one so that you can pray in your place that you pray every day. You can pray over those needs, okay? Let's pray together. Father, in this time of invitation, help us to be obedient And may the 40 days of prayer be very meaningful to our church. May the prayer room be very used by our church. Father, may these prayer meetings that we have that will come up, even this one Wednesday at 630, may we use this time to connect with you and to really seek your face together as a church. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.